So again, we listen to the book of Exodus, chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Listen for the word of God. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation for those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien in your re resident in your town. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and mother so that your days may be long in the land of the Lord your God who is giving you. And finally, you shall not murder. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we know your commandments are not simple prohibitions, but they are also positive admonishments to not only not kill, but to desire fullness of life for all people. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you might heal our hearts of all anger hatred and resentment so we may fulfill your commandment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today we're continuing with our Ten Commandments sermon series with the Sixth Commandment, best known by the traditional King James Version of the Bible, Thou shalt not kill thou shalt not kill. You'll notice that the modern translation that we've been using says something slightly different. You shall not murder. And a lot hinges on the way that we interpret this. And if you're in the Bible study, you could have wrestled with that. But if you're here, we're, we're going to just lay that to the side. Now, as part of our regular morning prayers, our family is memorizing the commandments. The conversation was a little awkward a couple days ago when we had to explain what adultery was to a four-year-old. Uh, <laughs> parents should love each other. <laughs> That's <laughs> but when we were learning today's commandment, the commandment not only or not to kill or murder, one of the boys actually laughed, not that he thought that killing or murder was funny, but oh, I'm missing, completely missing a page out of my sermon. Well, that's unfortunate. I guess I'll just have to wing it. Um, 
one of the boys laughed, and of course he laughed not just because uh, it was funny that uh, the idea of murder was funny, but he laughed because the idea of murder itself was ridiculous. Like, why would you have to tell somebody not to murder? We all know that that's wrong, right? It seems like it's the easiest commandment for us to keep. We all know that we're not supposed to murder. And in the Bible, there is the deepest prohibition against murder. And we heard it from Ingrid that each human being is made in the image and likeness of God. And to scar or mar that image is to make an affront to God himself. Human life is exceedingly precious. Take, uh, to take one isn't just an offense against that person and their loved ones, but an offense against the God who created them. And now, Kelly, I'm past the second page, so you don't need to go look for it. <laughs> look at, we just, these amazing people that work for this church, honestly. Bible either, where this prohibition comes into play. As far as laws go, this one's pretty universal, from the most ancient law codes chiseled into stone to modern secular Canadian law. To not kill is often a part of what's called natural law. It's built into the fabric of human societies across cultures as wrong. That's probably why it's the easiest commandment to keep. You can do just about anything else, but there's something uniquely terrible and wrong about. That's why it's on the back. <laughs> Killing. <laughs> it's a given more or less across the board. It's the easiest commandment to keep, at least on the surface. I say on the surface because if you've been listening to sermons on each commandment or reading along with our Bible study, you'll know that these commandments go far deeper than just the face value. The commandments may be simple, but actually keeping them isn't so simple, nor is it easy. And we only really need to look to Jesus for this commandment. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gathers his disciples on the mountain and begins to instruct them. This is called the Sermon on the Mount, which is sort of the core of Jesus' ethical teachings. And the location is intentional because Jesus is delivering his uh, own version of the law like Moses delivered the Ten Commandments. For Christians, Jesus is the definitive interpreter of the law. The moral buck, so to speak, stops at Jesus' sandals. Now, generally, when we think of Jesus or the New Testament in comparison with Moses in the Old Testament, we think something like this, New Testament God nice, Old Testament God mean. Moses, lots of laws, legalism, judgmentalism versus Jesus, who is empathetic, understanding, and warm. Sin, we think Jesus asks, don't worry about it. We expect that Jesus will maybe loosen up some of these laws, make them easier on us. But listen to Jesus' take on today's commandment. You have heard, Jesus says, referring to the Ten Commandments, you have heard 
Oh, no. <laughs> oh, wait, okay. There we go. <laughs> you have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say, I say that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And what's more, if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So let's get this straight. You all heard before you that you... Sh you that if you kill, God's coming for you. Well, I tell you that if you're angry at someone, if you insult someone, if you dismiss somebody as a fool, it's just as bad. In fact, you might as well have just killed them because your ticket's going to be stamped with the same fiery destination anyway. Doesn't exactly sound like the easiest commandment to keep now does it? Rather than lowering the moral bar on murder, Jesus turns the amp of accusation up to 11. He kicks the whole thing up into fifth gear from avoiding killing to actively purging our hearts from hatred itself. In Jesus' eyes, anger itself is akin to bloodshed. And if Jesus is right, None of us have kept this commandment. If Jesus is right, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If Jesus is right, we are all guilty, without exception. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If you search your own heart, you'll know that that is true. Now, of course, this begs the question as to why Jesus would give us a commandment that we couldn't keep. It seems kind of sadistic to set a bar so high that none of us can actually reach it, setting us up to just knock us down. But Jesus is doing something a little unexpected here. You see, Jesus is getting at the true nature of the human problem. For Jesus, the issue isn't just that we kill. That's a given. That's an issue. That's a problem. But he knows that killing doesn't just happen out of the blue. Killing's a symptom of a deeper disease, one that infects each and every human heart. And the issue is the disease we call sin, not lowercase sins or violations, but sin with a capital S. The power that draws our hearts away from God and doing the good. Sin, of which every small s sin is a symptom. Just as every old growth cedar begins as a tiny seed, every murder's got its origin in the human soul, cultivated by anger, resentment,
fear, selfishness, and jealousy. On account of our fallen human nature, each and every one of us has this seed within us, one that, given the right circumstances, could sprout and grow and bear deathly fruit. The great theologian Karl Barth, who in the 1930s saw his nation shift on a dime from open-minded liberal democracy to Nazi tyranny, put it like this. In most of us, he says, in most of us, the murderer is suppressed and chained, possibly by the command of God, possibly by no more than circumstances, convention, or the fear of punishment. Yet the murderer is very much alive in his cage and ready to leap out at any time. And he continues, this is revealed by the amazing ease at which In spite of every deterrent, war has always been approved and even enthusiastically welcomed and vigorously prosecuted, not merely by individuals, but by whole nations. Jesus knows that we can prohibit killing all we want. We can even get rid of all the bad people who kill and maim but we won't erase that which makes killing possible in the first place. Sin still lurks at the door of our souls. Jesus knows we can't truly deal with the outward act of murder without first dealing with its inward originating impulse. Jesus knows that the seed needs to be stopped before it grows. And according to Scripture, this is why Jesus came in the first place, not to lay down a new law or to remove it, but Jesus came to cure our collective ailment, to bring about a whole creation, a whole new in humanity, to heal us from the inside out. According to the biblical account, to accomplish this, the eternal God became human, In Jesus Christ, the transcendent creator became small and entered into our predicament. God, oh no, took on our human flesh, took on all of our pain, our sorrow, and suffering, and indeed our sin. He kept this commandment in its entirety. When he was betrayed and arrested, he had Peter put away his sword. When he was ripped and he was stripped, he didn't speak a mumbling word. When he was spat upon, he spoke no word of anger, even though he was totally innocent. He neither neither mocked nor berated nor belittled anyone, not even his friends who'd scattered, denied him, or betrayed him. Not even his enemies, not even the soldier who pierced his side. And though he could have called upon hellfire to save himself, he bore hell's fury Instead, in his own broken body. And when his hands were pounded into wood and the last words, the last words to pass through his lips were words not of condemnation, but of forgiveness. Forgive them. They know not what they are doing. 
on the cross, Jesus did what we as individuals, as a society, and as a species, what we've always needed to do, but couldn't. On the cross, God spoke an unequivocal no to all that is in us that poisons us and an absolute yes to human life. On the cross, Jesus came not just to encourage us to quit our killing, saying, please stop it, but to terminate the impulse itself, the one that makes our killing possible in the first place, so that grace and mercy might grow in its place. Jesus came not to deliver a new law, but to deliver us from sin itself. And a couple of months ago, there was this great interview with the famed African-American scholar and activist Cornel West in the Atlantic Monthly. This piece was titled, Why the Left Needs Jesus. <laughs> West is well known for his socialism and his outspoken politics, but West is also a passionate unabashed Christian. Now, this often puts him at odds with secular progressives, people who share his politics, but not his faith. And back in 2017, West joined a counter-protest against the Unite the Right rally, a gathering of various neo-Nazi white supremacists and other far-right groups in Charlottesville, Virginia. And this was a gathering, uh, if you've ever seen the photographs, they're actually quite terrifying, but it's a gathering that eventually turned violent and ended with the murder of one counter-protester and the injury of many other people. And many progressive commentators were understandably disturbed and outraged, calling for reprisal against these moral monsters. But West's approach was slightly different. His approach was informed by Jesus. My dear brothers and sisters on the left have their own perspectives on this thing, he said. We come together in terms of analysis and oftentimes practice, but I do have a Christian root that is profoundly, profoundly grounded in the sense of, as W.H. Auden put it, how do I learn to love my crooked neighbor with my crooked heart? When I was in Charlottesville looking at these sick white brothers in neo-Nazi parties and the clans pitting and cussing and carrying on, I could see the hounds of hell raging on the battlefield of their souls. I could see the hounds of hell raging on the battlefield of their souls, but I also knew that there's greed in me. There's hatred in me. People say, oh, you're so qualitatively different than those gangsters. I say, no, I've got gangster in me. I'm not going to pretend to be Cornell West, but <laughs> imagine somebody far more charismatic than me. <laughs> no, I've got gangster in me. I was a gangster before I met Jesus. Now I'm a redeemed sinner with gangster proclivities. I've got gangster in me. I was a gangster 
before I met Jesus. It's a very different way of looking at things than many of my secular comrades, he said. Now, West understands the heart of the sixth commandment. He knows that no law will save us and that vengeance and violence is no way out because he knows there's a gangster inside each and every one of us. He knows that it isn't just about refraining from killing or punishing killers. What's truly needed is a complete reconstruction of human nature, a whole new consciousness, metanoia, repentance, a change of mind and heart, one that begins with the recognition of our own falling short and our own need for forgiveness, one that Jesus Christ has won for us on the cross. So how do we keep this commandment, this impossible commandment? Well, first, it's by recognizing it's impossibility. It begins by searching your own heart. Where's your anger? Where's your resentment? Where's your judgment, your spite? What can't you let go of? Who can't you forgive? It's recognizing this within you, but also recognizing the good news that on account of Christ, you can let this old self die. You can let go of your anger, your resentments, your self-justifications, all those things that result in murder. All those things that are leading you and me and all the rest of humanity down the road to perdition. We no longer have to let them drive us and enslave us, but we can lay them at the foot of the cross and let them die. And the promise is that if we do, if we let them die in us, Christ will be raised in us in their place. Friends, the truth is that each of us has the seed within us that leads to breaking this commandment. But the good news is that no matter where the murderer in you lies in waiting, Christ is already two steps ahead, ready to make a blessed peacemaker out of you yet for the sake of the world. It's the only way out and the only hope we've got. But what a mighty hope it is. May the crucified God have mercy on us and incline our hearts to keep this law. Amen.
stand for our hymn of the day, Make Me a Channel of Your Peace. And join me in affirming the faith of the Church Universal by reciting together the ancient Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, 
and the life everlasting. Amen.